This is exactly right. Welcome to my favorite murder, <laughs> the coronavirus years. <laughs> That's right. We're in year 16 <laughs> of March How's it going? 2020. <laughs> oh my my God. sister sent me a text the other day that said, um, don't forget it's March 97th. <laughs> I saw one. I saw a meme that said 30 days has September, April, June, and November. All the rest have 31 except for March, which has 8,000. <laughs> yep, that's the old rhyme. Yeah. It's still quarantine time. Yeah. How are you doing on yours? No one needs that update. No. Everyone knows. <clears throat> I'm fine. I just think about the people in the future who are like listening to this. And like they're in the whole new world that we're hopefully in too, you know? Yeah. Oh, my God. My mom. I have to tell you, <laughs> my mom watches Ancient Aliens. She's obsessed with it. And I was on the phone with her the other day and she goes, well, I saw in Ancient Aliens this morning that there is definitive proof that there are no <laughs> aliens that have come to visit. And she said it like it's a provable fucking thing. She's watching Ancient Aliens like the news now. Yeah. <laughs> and you've seen the screen grabs of like the, the fucking commentators on that show. They're psychotic. I mean, look, I watch that show. I've in admitting that on this show, lots of people have written back and saying it's a super problematic show because they yeah. basically discount all ancient knowledge as like, <laughs> it'd be impossible that the Sumerians knew this. It must have been right. aliens, which I completely get. It's super offensive in that way. But yeah. as a spectacle, which yes. is what most entertainment is turning into, especially for me these days, mm -hmm. um, there are people on that show, I would say eight of the 10 men, and it's almost always men that speak to you about how, you know, the, the great pyramids of Giza are lined up or along Orion's belt. And that proves that the Mayans mm -hmm. actually visited them, you know, crazy <laughs> shit. And the people that explain this to you always have the ugliest necklace on. Like they go to the most tragic gift shop in the weirdest place they can oh. find and buy a turquoise. The Grand Canyon. Yeah. It's like, yes, everything seems Grand Canyon based. There's turquoise. There's eagles in forged in silver. Mm. Uh, they're always leather, always mm. beads. Cat's eye gems and things. Yeah. That's how you know you're watching Ancient Aliens. The necklaces are out of control and the hair, of course. But uh, speaking of purely entertainment or spectacles, we now need to talk about Tiger King. Oh, shit. That everyone is obsessed with right now. Oh, and hey, spoiler alert, everybody. We're about to ruin this whole series for you. <laughs> It's the perfect, again, it's the perfect show. It's a Netflix series. It came out right when the quarantine started in California yeah. anyway. And it was the kind of thing where we talked about it last week. You and I both resisted it because so many people were talking about it on social media. Yeah. It makes me sad. And I gotta be honest. It's a, it's a very sad, as I was saying to my friend who was like, what do you, uh, like, cause I was saying they were, they were, you know, saying the person they liked the most or whatever. And uh -huh. I'm like, yeah, I'm team get me away from these people. <laughs> right? and There's not was, a favorite. <laughs> <laughs> but he was like, oh, are you saying you didn't like it? And I said, no, no, no. I've binged the whole thing. Yeah. But 
there's no one to cheer for now in that entire thing. It's the darkest. It is. I mean, it's a rough when were, story. When that fucking crazy person, Joe Exotic, was pulling the brand new tiger cub away from its mother's teat and through the bars of the fucking cage that it's yeah. been living in its whole life. I was just out. I couldn't finish it. Well, and you can, you knew then that the idea of caring about those animals was not true. Right. And oh, my God. That's the whole study of that personality. Type. It's just like it's fascinating. Yeah. That there is this group of people that on e- studying each place, each little um, big cat reserve yeah. is its own mini cult. Totally That's crazy. And they're like everything at every place. There's like, well, we found these girls that didn't have a place to stay. And now they're part of the team, it's a.k.a. Not- in a fucking cult. <laughs> yes. And they're like, well, I work 18 hours a day and I'm super yeah. tired. So I don't know what I like anymore. But I do know that I got breast implants. <laughs> so many dark moments. As I said, text you the other night while I was watching it. Team Carol. Hashtag Team Carol. I don't think she killed her husband. Sorry. Oh, spoiler. Honey. Oh, honey. I don't think she killed him. I think that motherfucker split on her. Split and went to the bottom of the swamp. Went. To- <laughs> He's like, goodbye. I'm going for a deep dive. <laughs> the ancient aliens made the swamp and I'm going to live amongst them. Here's. I feel like anything goes with any of those people because there's something going on with the power structure of a person involving animals in their day-to-day and using animals like tools. It's the same reason I don't like putting costumes on my dogs. They have no choice. They have no control and they don't want to do it. Even when people, people give us very nice presents or like, I may, I stitched a scarf for, for George. I'll put it on for like four minutes. I'll be like, you don't want this on, right? You don't like people clothes because you're a fucking dog. Yeah. I'll put it on. You're not interested. For a f- quick photo, and then it's off, and they never have to yep. see it again. Yes. You know, but they do it for their Instagram account. It's their influencers. Well, and same with these people. Like, what I started to realize as I was watching that show is they're all filmed all the time. You watch yeah. them performing for the camera, performing for sometimes two cameras at a time. Well, that's one thing I do like about this show is that they show the outtakes of the people being like, should I get that again? That one guy. Should yeah. I, you guys want to get that again? Why don't you get me walking in? And that, like, there's just, I like whoever edited it and put those like really telling moments in of just them being real and terrible. Well, and I bet you it was that director who had to be there and get yes. directed by a guy that <sighs> basically has tigers jump on a chair, but he's like, here's what we're going to do. You're going to meet me at the front door where it's like, oh what if that's a God. shitty idea? What if me ringing your doorbell and you opening a door to like, hello, welcome to the tiger oh, What exchange? if you being a totally completely <laughs> fake person and like kind of scary with a fucking soul patch is not the best angle yeah. for TV. Maybe you're not the creator everyone's looking for. Yeah. Maybe it's- your soul patch needs to take a seat. <laughs> and also, <laughs> that's the guy that has like six wives. Yeah. I mean, it's just... here. But here's the thing. In times like these where things feel so extreme, mm-hmm. this is extreme, extreme entertainment. It okay, matches and then subdues big feelings with even bigger crazier feelings of like oh my god at least i don't live there work there that's a good point my life didn't take that turn (laughs) yeah Yeah. i didn't thank god i didn't go into big cats (laughs) (laughs) 
like you thought I was going to. <laughs> I mean, and I love cats and I'm sure Stephen agrees with me. I love cats more than any like lots of things. Yeah. Family, friends, money. But I don't want a fucking tiger. Even no. I don't want a tiger. Stephen, right? <laughs> no, Stephen. I res- I respect them too much. They would eat yeah. me, uh, given Good. the opportunity. And they're right. They're right <laughs> yes. to eat you. Yes. And like, how many times with a regular house cat have you had a swipe oh. that you almost brought you to your knees? <laughs> These are eight hundred pound tigers. It's crazy. You know what I hate about footage of? Like, I think maybe what it is is I'm always waiting for the tiger attack. The one caretaker who lost their arm. It's yeah. Uh, you know, I'm just waiting for that to happen because it's inevitable. I did. I have to say, I did like that part because it was so badass that he was just like, uh, yeah, I got my hand bit off, but then I'm just back to work. It was just like, please don't focus on that. We're trying. I'm not trying to talk about that, but there's other things to focus on. I love there was a couple people that really were bright, shining stars. But for the most part, that was a study in depression. Absolutely. So maybe I'll keep trying it, but I don't know if I need any extra (laughs) studies of depression right now at this at this you know time. it's like the reason we avoided it in the first place i just found it insanely jarring just as a kickoff mm-hmm. but then the more people talked about it and it seemed like the more people want to talk about it, i was like well i should know what's going on yeah me too there is a series i watch also on netflix called the valhalla murders um i don't know if you watched that one no, but what's it takes that? place it's in iceland Ooh. and it's a female like detective it's really good but it's one of the one it's um subtitles okay so you can <laughs> i can't do other things besides watch the show yeah. which really impacts, which is good it's actually very good it's the kind of show you want to focus on. Like, it really yeah. pays off. I need that. I need more true crime shows. I think there's one um, I want to watch about the uh, West Memphis Three, and it's more f- focused on the victims that I really want to watch. I haven't heard of that. That one, This one sounds good. What's it? The Valhalla Murders? Valhalla Murders is also on Netflix. And I okay. think... And I just watched one call. So I finished that really fast because it has... Yeah. Um, first of all, it has really good shots of Iceland. So... Yeah. There's this kind of escapism. They're always like weirdly running in snow. It's awesome <laughs> for me anyway. Um, but then there's another one. So I binged that and then I started another one. This was these two bookended Tiger King. Um, oh it's called The Bay, which I just finished <gasps> recently. And that one's really good, too. It reminds me of it has just feelings of broad church in that way where it's a little bayside town. That's it's very satisfying and calming. And yet still procedural. I love it. But you don't you like more of a documentary, right? As opposed to a scripted series. Yeah, but I can't watch any that are too dark because Vince won't handle it. He can't handle it. Quick corrections corner. And I think I heard about this last week from so I mean, so many people who are like, um, the story when I said I thought the person they said it was the healthcare provider, I assumed that meant the insurance company. Oh, yes. And 1,000 nurses wrote back to say, no, that usually means the doctor or the person that's actually treating you. So okay. chances were it was the doctor. So, of course, nurses on it, taking care of business, fixing corrections, saving lives on the daily. Please, if you get a chance, donate to any anything that will help nurses and doctors on the front lines right now mm-hmm. if you can and everyone's supporting them amen yeah it's amazing it's amazing and they truly are 
giving, uh, risking their lives and some giving their lives to fight this fucking pandemic. And it's insane, especially without a central government. Really fucked up. Yeah. Well, I guess the good news that we can start with is that our new podcast on Exactly Right Network, the trailer is up. Bananas, it's hosted by our friends, Kurt Braunohler um, and, and Scotty Landis. These are two people that when you go to an awkward party or bar and you see them and you're like, thank God they're here because they're the coolest dudes. Yeah, so if you follow comedy at all, you know Kurt Braunohler from, um, he's got tons of comedy specials on Comedy Central. Uh, one, or he's been on a bunch of things on Comedy Central. He has a comedy special called Trust Me. Um, but he's also been a voice on Bob's Burgers on, uh, he's acted on Black Monday on Showtime. Um, he's in the movie The Big Sick. So you've, he's a very, a stalwart of the comedy community and then of course scotty landis wrote your favorite uh horror movie from last year ma he that was his idea um mm-hmm. and those guys have been friends for years scotty is a uh, writer on workaholics and adam divine's house party so like they've known each other in the comedy community and uh yeah so they're just two dudes hanging out and reading each other weird news stories and it is especially now <laughs> in a in a time like now weird news stories don't get covered because everything is so (laughs) fucked. It seems like it'll be a really nice break from when you need something lighthearted and something to kind of just take your, you know, brain away from what is going on in the real world and listen to some insane stories um, and just weird news from around the world, which we'll yeah, discuss. So give, um, listen to that. And, uh, of course, do all the rev- rate reviews, subscribe. Um, I think it's going to be really good. And, uh, meanwhile, I don't know if you've tried out, I said no gifts by Bridger, uh, Winnegar yet, but, um, that's also another podcast that's up. And his new episode is with actor and comedian Langston Kerman, um, who's on Insecure on HBO. And that episode is up today. Yeah. yeah. April, April 2nd. 2nd. So at the end of this episode, we're going to play the trailer for Bananas as well. So you'll get to hear it. It premieres Tuesday, April 21st. And you can follow Bananas on Instagram at the Bananas Podcast. Did I say this last week that I'm going to have really great skin at the end of this, but I'm going to be depressed because I'm going to have <laughs> yes. no vitamin D? Yep. Oh, take your vitamin D. That's another one yeah. that I've read about, which mm-hmm. I'm doing. And vitamin C, anything mm-hmm. for immunity. I think we may. This is the new corner, vitamins corner. Vitamin corner. Curcumin is a great one. <laughs> Take your turmeric. Yeah. It's really great with inflammation. There's lots yeah. of um, like yogi tea that's echinacea or like for immunity. You can get any kind of like hippie teas that just say immunity on the front. I did that. <laughs> they taste great. Mushrooms just have some are good. Immunity herbs. Take mushrooms. <laughs> and of course, uh lsd in yep. large doses trip out videotape yep. yourself doing it and send it to <laughs> us please <laughs> you know what i did i did the thing where it had been enough time had passed so i was like it's time i have to make another grocery store run mm-hmm. so i did it really early in the morning i just got kind of what was in front of me but i did buy two big packages of like 
chicken fillets, like the mm-hmm. ones that are already they're already processed, so they're kind of like already cut, and yeah. it's basically half chicken breasts. Yeah. And then I cooked, I put one package in the freezer and I cooked the entire other package all at once. So then oh. I just have standby chicken breasts kind of hanging out because grab I'm with such, your hand, you grab yeah. one with your hand and <laughs> just, eat it. I'm just eat like it a, like a walrus at the zoo. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's licorice. Just, <laughs> feed it to myself. Like I'm a big cat. Um, I just think fig- I figure because I buy stuff. I don't make food every night. I don't. Yeah. I don't have any kind of a system to rely on. So, yeah, I got that. I'm like, just make it all at once. Then it's just sitting there and you can do it your way. I guess the point is you don't have to become a a chef or like all of a sudden you don't have to be good in the kitchen. Just do the thing that like doesn't waste food and gets your stuff taken care of. Do you yeah. have li- any little things that make you happy around the house? Um, the cats are great. My plants that I haven't killed yet mm. make me really happy. I have. I mean, t- I'm not depressed at all. It's it's nice. I'm, you're you're I'm just okay. trying to keep your eye out for it. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. oh, that would normally upset me, and yeah, just being aware of it. Yeah. What about you? Oh, I was just gonna brag that I have an orchid that I haven't killed yet. Oh, that I think because I'm there all the time staring at it, I keep it <laughs> perfectly watered because yeah. I'm monitoring it moment to moment. <laughs> That's what I'm doing too. I'm like, oh, you're drooping a little. I should water you because <laughs> all you I'm can... doing is staring. Yeah, but three drips of water in like this perfect way where you're just <sighs> meeting it out exactly how as it's needed. I love it. Powerful feelings. Oh. Yeah. On the other hand, I did kill the plant in my bathroom terribly by like <laughs> watching it dive thirst and not taking action. It was really odd. Isn't that the worst? It's really strange. I just like I kind of sat back like, well, there's nothing I can do. It's like water it. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's It's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit MadeInCookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N Cookware.com. Goodbye. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound... 
means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Okay. So I was, for my story this week, I was inspired by your story last week, which is the the death of Natalie Wood. And I, my friend Carrie O'Donnell, who is a sometime co-host of the Sexy Unique podcast, actually suggested this story to me in a text. And I'd never heard of this, even though I've covered half of this story before. So Ooh. this week, I'm doing the death of Grace Kelly. Ooh. And it involves a cult. <gasps> One of the weird theories that, of course, because Grace Kelly died, the tabloids exploded. It was an accidental death. She was young. It, her daughter was in the car. It was all this whole thing. And there was such a huge hit with tabloid um for tabloid papers and and the way people just could not get enough of this story. They wanted to know everything about what happened and why. So basically... The tabloids after her death, even though everything was um, proven to be an accident and they knew why everything happened, the stories just kept coming out and they got mm. weirder and weirder and the theories were crazier and crazier. Um, so okay, let's cool. see. I didn't know that. So uh, let's see. There was a book called Rainier and Grace, an intimate portrait by an author named Jeffrey Robinson that was written in 1989. And that's where a lot of like kind of insider information comes from. Also, the Chicago Tribune, the Irish Times, the Scotsman, biography.com. Of course, Wikipedia. Oh, and the other uh, reason that we were talking about this is because if you haven't seen the movie Rear Window and Ooh. you are suffering through quarantine, it is the best movie about mm. somebody being stuck in their house and basically <laughs> oh, yeah. witnessing a murder. It's such a good movie. So if you haven't seen it, definitely um, definitely watch it. And th that way, if you are a youngster and you have never heard of Grace Kelly before, you don't know who Grace Kelly is, you don't, you've never heard of Princess Grace of Monaco, you will get the perfect introduction to her. She's um, a gorgeous actress who I'm going to tell you about right now. So <laughs> here is in the main Here's what happened to her. On Monday, September 13th, 1982, glamorous actress turned Princess of Monaco, Grace Kelly, um, is getting her youngest daughter, 17-year-old Stephanie, ready to go back to Paris for the first day of school, which is on Wednesday. Um, so they're sure 
their chauffeur is standing by to drive their metallic green Rover 3500 from their royal farm in the hills above Monaco down to the station to catch the train to Paris. So the women are filling the backseat of this um, car with dresses and hat boxes and suitcases. And then they find when they're done packing, they realize there's no room left for them to sit in the back. And so that's when Grace tells um, her chauffeur, she's going to drive them both down to the train station instead, even though that's not something she normally did. Yeah. And it wasn't something she was necessarily comfortable with because they lived. It, it's the Cote d'Azur in, I think, southern France. But, you know, it's like a crazy, windy, mountainous. Yeah. Roads. And then probably you have like your vision blocked because of all the, the bags and stuff, too. Right. Like if it's a small car. A yeah, bit. it's a it's like a Range Rover. Oh, so okay. it's it's kind of a mountain car, but yes, they've filled the whole thing up. So, yeah. um, so basically, the the chauffeur insists. He's like, "I will <laughs> your royalty. I'm going to drive you to the train station, and then I'll come back and get your clothes and bring them." And she's like, "Yeah, don't worry about it. Forget it. I'll de- I'll do it myself." Um, so. Uh, they leave the farm around 10 a.m. They drive away. It's been a very busy summer. Grace Kelly has been working. She's has all her royal duties. She has so much to do all the time. She was very tired. You know, the summer was finally over. Um, some say she was very cranky. She'd been complaining of a headache all morning long. So, um, Essentially, when they turn out onto the road at 10 a.m., they follow it down into the um, nearest village of La Turbie. is a guess mm. of how you pronounce it. Um, then from there, they get onto a road called the D37. So two miles down the D37, there is a hairpin 150 degree turn to the right. And... Uh, this is according to her daughter, Stephanie. Somewhere along the way, Princess Grace gets a shooting pain in her head mm. and and um, potentially blacks out for a second, loses control of the car. And when she comes back, she tries to slam her foot on the brake, but instead she hits the <sighs> gas <sighs> and the car sails. In- instead of stopping, it just sails straight off the edge <gasps> of the cliff. It flips oh end over end. It falls 120 feet through trees and branches, and it crashes through a retaining wall and into a resident's backyard down below. Holy shit. Yeah. There's a gardener um, that was working in that backyard who would later tell reporters he ran over to the wreck and pulled Stephanie out of the driver's side window. Um <laughs> Some ancient astronaut theorists suggest that that means that Stephanie was driving and that she caused the accident. She was too young to drive or she was inexperienced or Mm -hmm. whatever. But she directly refutes that claim. And later the police will directly refute that claim. Um, She explains that in the crash... Um, as the car was slipping over, she ended up underneath the glove box uh, mm-hmm. on the passenger side. And then when the car landed, the passenger side door was too damaged to open. So the reason mm-hmm. she ended up coming out of the driver's side was because that was the only way to get out of the car. Meanwhile, wow. her mother had been thrown into the back seat and was um, uh, basically pinned there by the steering column. Mm. So... Somehow they both live through this crash um, and 
basically when um when the uh, authorities and the first responders get there um they realize they're alive they rush them to the hospital it turns out stephanie only has a hairline fracture on a, her vertebrae which although is very serious is pretty amazing um considering that unfortunately grace kelly is in a coma and she's on life support and basically when the doctors determine that she's not going to recover she's taken off life support and dies on september 14th 1982 it's almost a miracle in a way that like they instead of flying off the cliff and like ending up in brush and like wilderness they went into someone's yard who was there so they could get immediate attention otherwise they both might have died you know that's right also dog ear what you just said for later Ooh. Uh uh-huh aliens so then the day that um ancient 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 aliens suggest so grace kelly was 52 years old when she died her funerals held four days later on September 18th. It's watched by around 100 million people. Wow. And this is 1982. Yeah. So it's kind. It's like it's there aren't a million channels and there isn't 24-hour news coverage. So this was a really big deal. Mm. Doctors report that the cause of the accident was a mild cerebral hemorrhage that mm. Grace suffered while driving along the cliffs that day. But... The tabloids take the tragedy and they do their best to bend it into a scandal. So once the shocking news of Grace Kelly's death begins to die down, the tabloids begin printing fantastical follow-up stories that involve cover-ups, fixed breaks, and mafia hits. And the public cannot get enough. So even after it's proven that Stephanie was not driving, stories about her being responsible for the crash and for her mother's death (laughs) continue to circulate. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, And the stories about that it could have been a mafia hit or that an unknown assassin fixed the brakes, even though they they later the forensic, you know, they they um, checked the car out entirely and they were like, no, that that wasn't actually it. The brakes were fine. Mm -hmm. But. You know, the world was as obsessed with Grace Kelly um, and they were as obsessed with her death as they were with her life. So let's talk about her life for a second. So Grace Kelly was born. Let's go back to her early life. She was born on November 12th, 1929 in Philadelphia. Her family was very wealthy and like high status. Uh, they're Catholic and they she had very high expectations put on her. She had a very stuffy, restrictive upbringing. And um, so she kind of became a bit of a rebel. So she was always in school plays and she danced and against her parents' wishes, she went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York in 1947. So the only way her father would let her move to Manhattan is if she stayed at the Barbizon, which was a strict women-only hotel. Mm. Um, So you had to, there was a a code of conduct that you had to agree to. There was a dress code. It was oh like re- strict lady living. No men were allowed above the ground floor. Like there are all these rules. Yeah. Hoity fucking toity. Right. Now, Grace Kelly finds her way around these around these rules because she wants to date and she wants to have an active dating life. She's drawn to older, rich men, and she gets a reputation for being a very modern woman who is like a trailblazer. Um, and also, she's one of the most beautiful women 
ever. Truly. She looks like a drawing of a pretty face. It's yeah. crazy. She's she's um, like magical looking how beautiful she is in that like, you know, Hollywood starlet perfection kind of way. Yeah, beyond. So I'm yeah. sure at, at the old Barbizon, she's like, I'm going to need these dudes to be coming up to my room. I can kind <laughs> right. of get what I want. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, in 1949, she gets into a play on Broadway. And then from there, it just takes off. She gets a bunch of shows, uh, roles on TV shows. She gets her first feature film in 1951. It's a movie called 14 Hours. She's 22 years old. And then Jeez. in 1952, she gets a part in the movie High Noon. And that's her big break. Then she, uh, in 1954, she stars opposite Bing Crosby in The Country Girl, which is a huge deal back then. Mm -hmm. And then she ends up getting nominated for an Oscar for that part in The Country Girl. And she beats out Judy Garland for Best Actress. Wow. Yeah. So um, she is now a, a full on like successful movie star. Mm. So when she goes to the Cannes Film Festival in um, 1955, in April of 1955, she the the, the magazine Perry Match, they want to set up a meeting between her and the Prince of Monaco, Prince Rainier III. Mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, they're supposed to, I guess, have a photo shoot. The timing's bad. The, it's delayed. They don't meet up at the time that it's all delayed for a month. But then on May 6th, 1955, um, the two are finally introduced and they hit it off immediately. They end up dating for the next year and they get married on April 19th, 1956. And this wedding is a fairy tale star-studded guest list of 700 people. Fuck. Um, yeah. And they and now it's just like she's gone from the hugest thing you could be in America, which is like a, a leading lady movie star to a, the princess of Monaco. A fucking real life princess. It's just absurd. Yeah. Her and Meghan Markle are the two that did it. Yeah. I'm sure there's others. I don't know. I don't know royal the royals <laughs> by heart. And I should. Prince Rainier and Grace go on to have three children together. Caroline was born in 1957. Albert is born in 1958. And Stephanie's born in 1965. Basically, Grace retires from acting altogether. And it's just purely so she can um, take care of her royal duties and the family. But once the kids are growing up, um, she's starting to really feel confined by the restrictions of the royal lifestyle. Um, and she's looking to be, to figure out other ways to become spiritually fulfilled. And this is where allegedly the order of the solar temple comes in. Do you remember Say when I what? talked about the no. order of the solar temple? It's from episode 104. It'll come to you as I, as I tell you. Okay. I was just laughing because the name of episode 104 is Garden Party, which made me laugh. So <laughs> I don't know what, what that means. What is it? What is it about? So this is basically, if you don't remember, Order the Solar Temple in 1984 in Geneva, Switzerland, a homeopathic doctor and new age lecturer named Luke Jure. He partners up with a guy named Joseph 
Joseph de Mombro, and they form a cult called the Order of the Solar Temple. Jure is the front man, and he's like the main guru. De Mombro um, manages all the behind-the-scenes logistics. Both of them have been involved in different versions of cults, kind of escalating um, intensity of cults over the years for about a decade. So the Order of the Solar Temple is... Um, kind of based on the Knights Templar, which is, you know, <clears throat> as we all know, what the Freemasons are based on and the Da Vinci Code and all that stuff. This is the part where you break off now and go watch the Da Vinci Code film starring Tom oh, Hanks. And that does all the homework for you. But essentially, <laughs> Knights Templar fought in the Crusades. Um, they developed early forms of banking. They quickly became very powerful with their, with their treasures they got in the war. The Pope and the King at the time didn't want them to have that power. So the Knights Templar were, they were disbanded in 1312 by Pope Clement, but, um, they just went underground. They didn't break up. So there's been numerous sects, S-E-C-T-S, Georgia, mm-hmm. don't be dirty, God. under different names with those same tenants, um, over the years. So the Knights Templar legacy has, has basically continued on. Like now it's what the Freemasons base their whole thing on is okay. the Knights Templar. So the difference, the order of the solar temple, although it's based on that, the difference is, as opposed to say like chivalry or protecting the Holy Grail, in the order of the solar temple, their primary goal is to prepare their members for the apocalyptic second coming of Christ, which they believed would happen sometime in the mid 90s with mm. the arrival of a sun god king. Is anyone, any of this? Brad uh, Pitt. Brad Pitt. <laughs> Right in the 90s, it's a little film called Thelma and Louise, and he was a sun (laughs) god king in that thing. Yeah. This cult believes that it can elevate its members to become a, a, a super group of people who can withstand the coming apocalypse because they're on a higher plane, a higher spiritual plane than everybody else. Sure. That's the whole, that's the promise of the Order of the Solar Temple. And they target rich elites. Um to to join them so that they can get their money and then that also always brings in other rich elites are there uh, poor elites do you think i mean in in their mind <laughs> but it doesn't count the membership is secret and they join in um private lodges across Switzerland, Canada, Australia, and Martinique. So everything's going well with this apocalyptic cult until October 4th, 1994. (laughs) This is the part you might remember. Okay. Local authorities respond to a call about a chalet fire, a chalet that's on fire in Morin Heights, Quebec, Canada. Mm -hmm. And inside they find that former member of the Solar Temple, Tony Dutois, and his wife Nikki and their three-month-old baby, as well as two other adults... Jerry and Colette Jeannot have, they're all dead, but it's not from the fire. Tony's been stabbed 50 times in the back. Nikki's been stabbed six or seven times and their baby was stabbed with a wooden stake. And then it turns out Jerry and Colette were sent by DeMombro to kill the family because they were telling other members of the cult that 
Joseph and Luke were frauds. The leaders were frauds. So basically, they convinced the Junos that that baby is the Antichrist. And they're so <sighs> in this cult that they're like, okay, yeah, we have to take care of that. So the Junos go and kill the whole family and then take their own lives. Oh, my God. And then a a few days later, the two leaders tell the remaining cult members the apocalypse is upon them and they orchestrate mass murder suicides at the chalets uh, across Western Switzerland um, because they have to find their salvation through fire. Um, so all of these chalets are set up with incendiary devices and um, then more more mass death events occur on December 15th and 16th, December 23rd and March um, and then March 23rd, two years later of 1997. And by the end of all of it, 74 people are dead, including the founders, Luke Jure and Joseph de Mombro. Um, so the total number of members during the cult's height was a, between four and six hundred people. Um, and these were like you know, the rich elites, yeah. um, the medium elites and <laughs> families and children. Um, Ugh. and they were in their prime. This cult was worth about $93 million. Oh my God. Yeah. So, okay. So that's the bit. If you want to learn more, there's plenty of, um, plenty of podcasts and different things about the order of the solar temple. But essentially what happened after all that went down in 19, uh, around 1997, two producers named David Cohen and David Carr Brown were making a documentary about the order of the solar temple. And at right as they're finishing up, they get a tip from an anonymous French man that there's more to the story. Mm. So so after speaking with this man over the phone and confirming a bunch of his claims, or at least the facts around his claims, they agree to meet him in person. We don't know this informant's name or who he is. I'm saying he could be a she. We, knew no, we do know they were the head of security for Joseph de Mombro, one of the leaders of the Order of the Solar Temple. So these filmmakers had been told by other former cult members that they interviewed that if they could just get an interview with this head of security, he was the one who had all the inside information. And so they finally do um, talk to this guy. And during this in-person conversation, the informant mentions Grace Kelly's name a couple times. And basically, according to this single anonymous source, mm -hmm. um, which is right there kind of the end of this because it's not it's not corroborated in any way well not in any meaningful way that and uh, this is also how tabloids work is right. single anonymous sources that right. are un unproven right but essentially in the summer of 1982 a few months before her death grace kelly it's claimed by this source that grace kelly became a member of a very early version of the order of the solar temple and so here's the head of security's retelling of the events. Um, so this single anonymous source says a driver in a Jaguar goes and picks up Princess Grace from her home in Monaco, takes her on a four hour drive um, out to an ancient priory, which is like a nunnery or a monastery mm -hmm. in Beaujolais, France just north of Lyon. Security checkpoints monitor her journey, and apparently when she arrived, bouquets of 
white ornate flowers are arranged um, to welcome her. And then she's escorted from her car to a, quote, derobing chamber. And there she receives um, an acupuncture treatment that relaxes her. Okay. Um, so, right? I'm, I'm on board. So you're on board, but this is right at the point of the story where everything devolves into the plot of Eyes Wide Shut. So oh, this fuck. is how it's starting. You know when you're um, hearing a story that sounds like it's being narrated by a sixth grade girl at a slumber party that <laughs> that maybe it's not the truth. Okay. But this is this is yeah. basically they say um, that once that treatment's done. Um, she's given a drink that may have a tranquilizer in it at 7 p.m. She's put it, she's dressed in white robes, um, with the signature Templar red cross on them. And she's led downstairs to the Priory's crypt. She's mm. laid on a round altar, uh huh, surrounded by quote, Kabbalistic signs and pictures of the 12 apostles. Okay. I'm still on board. Sounds relaxing. Okay. You're in. <laughs> Wagnerian music is playing and the cults higher ups are around the room and they're all deciding whether or not they think that Grace should be accepted as the, quote, high priestess of the order. They all say yes. <laughs> um, and so she's basically supposedly made the high priestess of the order. And then when it's all said and done, she's driven home to Monaco in the wee hours of the morning. You're completely right. It sounds like a six, six or sorry, a 12 year old playing with Barbies. Yeah. And this is the story they make up. And, and it's like, put her and, on an altar. Oh, and then they disrobe her and robe her. It's <laughs> like lightly <laughs> dirty. Yeah. It's salacious and dirty and scandalous. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. um, it's not like it doesn't happen because we all know that yeah. like, se these secret societies really do exist. Totally. Weird things happen. And also rich people, God knows what they get up to oh with my. their super yachts. Who the fuck knows? I mean, they do have the time. <laughs> Basically, in this conversation, um, this informant says that after this initiation ceremony, the order asked her to donate 20 million Swiss francs to their cause. This is where the cult part that's comes where in. It always, it, that's where they always get you. They're like, acupuncture. It's free. That The acupuncture is free, but the robes cost 20 million Swiss <laughs> francs. Sorry. And you spilled your margarita on it. So yeah. you have to. We know what was <laughs> that's that was what her tranquilizing drink was. It was just, <laughs> just a, a margarita, really strong margarita. <laughs> um, so apparently they ask her to give them 20 million Swiss francs. She counters with 12. Well, you what? can't you can't bargain with a cult. Also, it's, again, this is this tells me that Mackenzie, sixth grade Mackenzie, is the one making up the story <laughs> where it's Mackenzie. like they asked for 20. She said 12. This is but, not a used car lot that you're. Yeah. But apparently they got into once once they got into the argument about it. She was like, I'm not giving you any money. That's so much money. I'm not giving you any money. And she and Joseph DeMombro got into a big fight. Hmm. And so this informant says, quote, Grace threatened to expose DeMombro's demands for money and her attitude spooked him. She was, after all, not the only person of influence in the order. Yeah. And DeMombro could not afford to alienate his rich patrons. So the fear was that she was going to be like, this is a scam, everybody. And they were mm -hmm. all going to be like, Princess Grace says no more. 
which is also mm-hmm. how sixth grade works. You just get one girl to be like, nah. Yeah. Princess Grace said that this is stupid. We're not wearing leg warmers anymore, you guys. So then basically the intrigue is it was only a few months after this alleged argument she had with DeMombro that Grace Kelly's car drove off a cliff. Mm, suspicious. Uh, yeah. So in December of 1997, this documentary airs on Channel 4 uh, in the UK And Mm -hmm. it includes this part about her alleged connection to this cult. And it is immediately met with skepticism and denial. Grace Kelly's estate promptly denies her involvement, chalking the whole thing up to sick fantasies, which is exactly what it sounds like. Does. Mackenzie. Yeah. Yeah, Mackenzie. Author David Spotto, um, who wrote Grace Kelly's biography, High Society, he does he denies the possibility that she was ever a member of this cult. He says he's heard the rumors. There's simply no concrete evidence to prove it. Yeah. The biggest argument against this theory being true is that the Order of the Solar Temple formally began in 1984. Grace Kelly died in 1982. Ah, shit. So the theory is that it was like this early version right, right. when they were starting to, you know, they were going to use her as like the magnet famous person yeah. to get a bunch of other people in. It's believable that 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 could happen because both Luke Jure and Joseph DeMombro's extensive backgrounds, they started several cults before the Order of the Solar Temple was the one they mm-hmm. landed on. DeMombro was in a couple. So it's plausible right. that they were just kind of shaping it toward her. And, you know, they were just hoping other yeah. stars and royals and all these other people would, would join. But it's widely accepted and the, and the, uh, the, the most believable theory is that Grace Kelly had a stroke while she was driving her car, and that's how she lost control and drove off the cliff. But this circumstantial evidence that ties her to the Order of the Solar Temple, it complicates things, and as does the story that the backyard that her car ended up in <gasps> oh my God. was at the home of a, of a member of the Order of the Solar Temple. Is that true or is that a... Uh, I mean, not that's what they say. So I don't know if that's verified. (gasps) It seems like a very verifiable thing. Yeah, I love it. It's like the person, do they belong to that cult and is this their backyard? So would be wild. I think that that even if it were a crazy coincidence, because that's the area where... Yeah. That cult was getting popular. Right. And it's probably not that populated over there either if you're... If she's living there, it's probably not like a big town. Tons of people. Here's the one thing I just thought of, though. Huh. How were they a member of the Order of the Solar Temple in 1982 if it didn't start till 1984? Boom. Great Great question. So they could have been, it could have been like another person at that ceremony the night that she was chosen to be the high priestess, but. Or just someone who liked robes a lot. Maybe there she was at a robe party. Maybe it was a robe was happening convention. Could there be like a Tupperware party, but for robes? (laughs) Because I'd go and I'd join. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, it sounds like a lie. It probably is. Um, There always has to be intrigue and salaciousness, you know, connected to things like this. It's a cool. It's a cool you know way to think because it's it's more fun than tragic just pure tragedy 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 but 
Yes. Well, it sells more papers. It's just more it's you're able to talk about her a little bit more and be like, what was her life like? Right. But I think we're also coming to find that, you know, whether you're like that, the super rich are living these super weird lives yeah. that regular people don't really know about. And I think that's especially these days why those kinds of theories are believable, because then you have a, a story like the Epstein story where you're just like, Oh my God, he has a whole island. Like it's yeah. out of control. These people go unchecked and they do whatever they want. It's also this thing of like Grace Kelly was probably so many people's like, you know, fantasy of what life could be like if, you know, if they were her or whatever. And then for her to just die from a tragic car accident is not, is not enough, you know, right. like doesn't make enough sense. So they it, it it feels better for her to have died some like mysterious way because it's just right. so awful because people can't deal with just the, the cold, hard facts of like, yep, people get ripped out of our hands all the time. Yeah. You can't escape a car accident. Not going to. No. Well, and here the you know, so the chances are that this this whole concept was just more fiction for people to feed off of because they weren't mm -hmm. ready to let her go. Mm -hmm. um, Prince Rainier once himself said in an interview, quote, they did their best to keep the story running and it didn't show much human compassion for the pain that we were suffering. It was dreadful. And that's the story of the tragic death of Grace Kelly, Princess of Monaco. Wow. How sad. Yeah. I had no idea. I wouldn't have guessed it was 82 either. I would have guessed it was like the 60s. Well, the 80s are like the 60s now that we're in the 20s. That's true. Right? So long ago. Hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in network with almost all major insurance companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter her promo code space 80. Goodbye. Goodbye. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines and June's journey has that and more. 
June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Great job. Thank you. Uh, this one is I'm doing the death of Kendrick Johnson. So, um, and I got info from a Grantland article by Jordan Ritter Khan, an article from the website Talk Murder to Me by Beth Coleman, an All That's Interesting article by Natalie DeGroote, and of course, Reddit and Wikipedia, and there's just tons of articles out there about this case. Uh, and I first heard about this and I saw this really disturbing photo that goes with it. And when it happened in 2013, and I was completely perplexed by it, and I've been keeping tabs on it ever since. And on the surface, it seems like a murder mystery, especially when you factor in the like arguably shoddy crime scene handling and the fact that there's a history of racism in this town and this area uh, and the country. And there's just a lot of unexplainable factors, but a lot of people just think it's a tragic accident. So. Okay, so in 2013, Kendrick Johnson was a 17-year-old high school student at uh, Lowndes High School. He lived at home with his family in the town of Valdosta, Georgia. And it's so, it's on the Florida-Georgia line. And someone wrote, when I looked at our uh, Gmail, someone wrote it and said, uh, yes, the Florida-Georgia line is real and it sucks just as bad as you think it does. <laughs> so that's what that's like. Um, everyone called Kendrick this 17 year old they called him KJ and both his family and friends describe him as a sweet and quiet boy and he was this like handsome football player high school student and if you look at his pictures he has this like sweet baby face where you can tell he's like trying to look older but he still has a baby face um, he's the youngest of three kids to Kenneth and Jackie Johnson and he's a good athlete and he dreams of playing professional football someday so just normal kid on January 10th, 2013, just a couple days after the holiday break had ended, KJ's mom gets worried when her son doesn't come home from um, school when she expected him. And he's the kind of kid who always called if he was going to be late. And so when he's not home by 930, she starts to worry. And uh, after she drives around town and drives to the school, doesn't find him, comes home and at 1230 in the morning calls the police and reports him missing and of course the police are like he's just out having fun with friends and you know he's just being a typical teenager don't worry about it but by the next morning kj still isn't home and so jackie goes to school to look for him and she's um sitting in the office talking to his counselor she finds out that he missed the last of his classes the day before never went to classes which wasn't like him and um, she's talking to the counselor about making missing flyers when suddenly someone comes into the lobby of the office and 
says that a body has been found in the gym and the school is on lockdown. And the mom wasn't supposed to hear that. It was like <sighs> phone was turned too high or something. So, of course, she freaks out. So that morning at about 10 a.m. earlier, a group of students had arrived for class in the school's gym and their students milling about doing whatever. And someone notices a pair of white sto- socks sticking out of one of the upright rolled up wrestling mats. You know, those like blue mats. Yeah. Um, it stood upright instead of laid down horizontal. It's vertical. It's got a strap on it. And um, the, it's, it, the mats are like six feet tall. So one of the students has to climb up onto the bleachers to get a look inside. because They're all confused about why their socks sticking out. And they look in and see they're attached to a person. And these are high school students. They see it's attached to a per- person. They think the person must be fucking around. So like, you know, hey, what's going on? And they um, notify the coach and he starts to overturn the mats while another student calls 911. The coach tries to pull the person out of the mat, figuring it's a joke or something, but then smells decomposition and realizes what's going on, leaves it as it is. Everyone calls 911 and wait for the police and medical personnel to arrive. Um, And this is the photo I saw is just the feet in the mat and i still remember it from 2013 being like this is going to be something i'm going to follow this you know it's it's so So troubling yeah Yeah. so weird so weird so police immediately set to work they track down they interview students who went to the gym that day and the day before and from statements and security footage they're able to confirm that kendrick had been um to classes earlier and walked into the gym at 109 p.m the day before and uh, but there's no security cameras positioned at the mat, so they don't see what happened. But other students show entering the gym just three minutes after him and didn't see him. So it's really confusing as to what happened. Police discover from other students that some of the kids use those wrestling and cheerleading mats to store their like PE clothes because they the school charged for lockers Mm. and so some kids would just like didn't want to spend the money on a locker would just throw their shoes behind those mats grab them at PE when they needed them and Kendrick was one of those kids they and he shared a pair of shoes with another kid that they would keep in the mat so the wrestling mats were actually usually stored on their sides, lying on the ground. So usually probably was easy for Kendrick to get to them. He would just reach in and grab them. But over the Christmas break, someone had set them up to be uh, vertical, maybe to clean the gym or something. So the day he, that day when he went to find his shoes, they weren't where he normally just grabbed them from. Kendrick's body is barely off school property later that day before the sheriff's office makes an official announcement saying that Kendrick had climbed over several vertical mats to reach the one with his shoes. And being unable to tilt the mat, he had instead reached down inside and tried to get the shoes by going into a mat and gotten accidentally stuck, his feet sticking up and his head pointed down. And because he was stuck in a tight space with no way to get out, he suffocated. And that's how he died. that's horrible. And this theory, I know, is further corroborated by the fact that when the mat is unrolled, KJ, he had one arm stretched above his head and the other one down around his waist as though he was reaching for something. Mm. So this confirmed the initial autopsy that reveals that Kendrick died due to what's called positional asphyxiation. So 
What that means is that he suffocated as a result of being stuck upside down in an enclosed space for an extended period of time. Just 24 hours after being found, the investigators ruled Kendrick's death an accident. So positional asphyxiation, it's a controversial and difficult to diagnose cause of death. And there's only been 37 known cases of it since the term came around in the early 90s. Oh, wow. So it's an, yeah, it's not a normal thing. Uh, it's usually used to explain uh, a death if literally everything else has been ruled out and they're not quite sure exactly what happened. According to the Internet, positional asphyxiation is then brought into play. Mm. But right from the start. KJ's parents refuse to accept the police's version of the events and they demand more answers. They demand to see uh, Kendrick's body before his autopsy and it, they're not allowed to. They don't believe that their young athletic son could have, you know, died trapped inside a rolled up wrestling mat. And the mat KJ is found in is six feet tall and he's five nine. And the diameter of the hole inside of this mat is 14 inches when it's rolled up. But KJ's shoulder span is 19 inches. So it's almost hard to believe he could even start to go into that mat. You know what I mean? Yes. And it doesn't make sense that like it's almost the suggestion that he would just kind of dive into a thing that's way too narrow for him simply to get shoes that were on the other side that if you just knocked it over, they'd be right there available to you. Right. It doesn't it doesn't feel like a thing that someone would actually attempt. No. The, the claustrophobia, you wouldn't even have to have claustrophobia yeah. to be like, no, I'm never doing that. Like, that's nothing about that seems no. like a good idea. I'm just thinking of this, too. But like um, he had tennis shoes on. So it almost would make more sense for him to be like, oh, those shoes, I can't grab them. I'm just going to wear what I have on. It's not like he had yeah. on flip flops and needed those tennis shoes badly, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, what what are the circumstances? Wouldn't you just be like, I'll take my F for the day in PE and not yeah. deal with it? I mean, who knows? Right. It's very, it's very odd. To me, this is, that's the oddest part of the story is someone even doing that. So, and because of his size, it seems impossible that he got into the mat by himself at all. His parents maintain that his size versus the size of the mat alone is enough to debunk the police's theory or at least cause some more investigation. You know, I it's agree. like a discrepancy. Yeah, it's a discrepancy. KJ's parents are suspicious of the investigators from the beginning. They believe that the sheriff's department is too quick to rule out foul play. Um, the John- the Johnsons are also sure that their son's body hadn't been properly handled at the scene, which I think it's hard to argue with them. It really wasn't a great crime scene. Um, according to Georgia law, police must notify the local coroner or medical examiner or medical examiner immediately after discovering a dead body. But the local coroner isn't called to the scene for six hours oh. after KJ is found. Six That's fucking official hours. mishandling. That's yeah. actual mishandling. Yeah. It's no bullshit. Uh. And law enforcement and everyone at the scene, they also didn't put on the like those little shoe covering the booties that are supposed to be used so that you don't contaminate the evidence. There's photos of their shoe, like actual shoes in the crime scene photos. Right. Um, KJ's parents also believe that their son's death isn't being taken seriously because of his race. KJ is black and the Lowndes uh, County Sheriff, Chris Prines and his entire staff of investigators, they're all white. Mm-hmm. And the Johnson's family attorney assert that if KJ had been white, the case would have been handled differently. Yep. 
Um, when the family finally gets to access KJ's body, they take pictures of him postmortem and they're insanely graphic photos. Like even me who can handle crime scene photos, this is not that. And they post them all over. And as soon as people see how horrific these photos are, they are like drawn to act and to find out what happened. Uh, it looks like he's been beaten up and there's a huge outpouring of support from the black community for the Johnson family. And they all believe an injustice has been done. Um, then the photo gets people taking a closer look at the conflicting evidence found at the scene. So one of the most controversial pieces of evidence and there's quite a few, some I'm not even talking about right now, is the black and white sneaker that's found underneath KJ in the mat. So if if he were actually doing what they said he did, which is reaching for a sneaker, it would be this sneaker. And um, the thing is, it's sitting in a pool of blood, which is what happens when you are inverted like that and die is eventually fluids leak. But the shoe, and there's a crime scene photo of it, doesn't have a drop of blood on it. So if he were in that position and the shoe is where they said it was in this fucking puddle of blood, why wouldn't the shoe have any blood on it? So the puddles around the bottom of the shoe, but there's nothing actually on it. Nothing. Wow. Yeah. Maybe it was moved by a sloppy crime scene technician or maybe it was staged by somebody. You know, it could have even been the teacher who initially found it, like tried to throw things back the way he thought it was. But, you know, if they had said that, all these things keep like leading up to a conspiracy because nobody is acknowledging how fucked up everything was, you know? Yeah. Um, And so it points to to the Johnson family. It points towards a cover up. Another thing that's odd is the shoes he was wearing that day aren't on his feet. So you look into the, there's a, the photo I saw the first time is you look into the mat and you see his feet in the mat and in his white socks and his shoes that he was wearing that day are kind of tucked next to his legs. So his shoes aren't on him, which is weird to me when I first saw it and being a total amateur is that it looks like someone threw the shoes in afterwards after him as a way to get rid of them. Oh, but it could be that he was, you know, if the theory is true that he got stuck down there, he could be trying to back out of the mat that was vertical and his shoes came off in his struggle. You want to see the photo? You want to see the photo? Oh, no. Those look like they've been thrown in. Doesn't it? Yeah. Keep in mind, though, that that is the mat after it was turned on its side by the teacher. Originally, it was standing straight up. So maybe the teacher, they tumbled out with the, when the teacher turned it and he threw them back in to maintain the crime scene or whatever the fuck. But it's it's suspicious. Don't you think? Yeah, because I feel like any, especially in this day and age of like CSI and whatever, is like you wouldn't throw them back in. If they right. came out, you'd leave them where back they were. Up. It's right. like, yeah, that idea is odd. And doesn't that yeah. that space that he's in look tiny? Yes. Impossible to to like wiggle yourself into. And why the fuck would you even do that? Also, I mean, the point of that he's already wearing tennis shoes, right? Is because I completely assumed it was, I have to get these shoes. I will get in trouble. I'm not going to get, you know, it's like that whole thing where sometimes like high school kids do weird stuff because of the mm-hmm. weird high school rules that like when you're an adult, yeah. you're like, oh yeah, that's right. It's the And your brain threat. isn't fully formed. And so you make bad decisions, but I don't think. 
no, this doesn't look like any of that. It it doesn't no. look like, oh, I got myself into a weird like pickle and yeah. and and then really unfortunate things happen because that's that kind of like I don't I mean, this is just from basically what you've presented to me, mm-hmm. but it it doesn't it's not like he was stuck somewhere and trying to get air. He you were supposed to believe he went down into a thing to get shoes he didn't actually need. Right. I so yeah. What why would you risk that? Totally. Being in that tiny space. Also, it makes it just doesn't make sense that anyone would dive down into something or, you know, not even yeah. fast, but like head first into a thing. That's I don't think body. people would do that. Like you wouldn't no. risk being caught upside down because that would be so taller than you. Yes. It's not like it's a three feet foot thing that your arm gets stuck in. No, it doesn't. That doesn't make sense at all to me. No. There's so many arguments for this being an accident, but I just can't get past that this doesn't seem like something someone would do. There's also a hoodie and a pair of orange and black random gym shoes that are found lying on the gym floor, um, as well as visible blood drops on a wall nearby. But um, the investigators don't take and any of those the the hoodie or the shoes into evidence they just are like oh it's unrelated don't take them into evidence uh. they test they test the blood and so the night before there was like a cheer or you know flag practice going on and this girl said i got hit in the nose with a flag and i bled and that's why there's blood so they take swabs of the blood they test it against kendrick it's not his blood and then they do nothing. They don't test it against anyone else. They don't corroborate that it's her blood. They just are like, oh, it's not, it's not relevant. <sighs> mm-hmm. So the Johnson family petitions for a second autopsy of KJ's body with the help of the Valdosta Southern Christian Leadership Conference and the NWCP and um, a county judge grants them permission. So five months after the initial investigation, a second autopsy is done. A, and this they do this by exhuming his body, which I'm sure is just so traumatic yeah. in itself. The family hires a private pathologist, Dr. William Anderson. And when he opens up the body, he finds inside of KJ's body, instead of his organs, which are missing, he discovers that the body's been stuffed with newspapers. What? What? Yeah. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation claims that when KJ's body was sent to the funeral home after the first autopsy, um, that they had sent along KJ's organs. It was all like signed for that everything is here and where they were supposed to be. But the funeral home said that it received the body without the organs. And they said it's common practice to replace the organs with paper or sawdust while embalming. And in uh, according to the Georgia Bureau of Funeral Services, uh, to do so is not best practices, but it's also not uh, illegal and doesn't violate any laws. But then that means that it didn't, the communication was never, like, there was no through line of communication right. so that when they went to exhume the body, no one said, hold on, there's no point because yeah. there's no organs in there. Which you can only, is, yeah. You can't you test the, mean, any of the organs. You can look at the like superficial body and see if there's anything they missed. But but why would you like let a family exhume their own child if you knew somewhere along the line who knew yeah. that the organs weren't in the body? Why was that not conveyed so that that ex- exhumation never took place? A hundred percent. That by itself is 
horrifying. It is. But then what that actually points to is not good. Right. And it could have nothing to do with the case itself at all. It's just such a, it's like another level to this nightmare that's worth taking a look at and just horrible. Well, and it's indicative of the way these, um, these different departments handle their shit because totally. that's, that's very important, obviously. And right. one of the departments should know whether or not the organs are in the body when they go to the next place. Totally. So those, and, somebody in between those two, the sheriff's well, department or whatever you said, and the funeral home. Yeah. Sh- that should get figured out. Right. It might just be the funeral home. But of course, the people who think there's conspiracy going on just think this is another layer of it, understandably. And the other thing that never made it to the funeral home or did and then got discarded is the clothes he was wearing that day. So there's a there's a list of his clothes, his shorts, his T-shirt, all this stuff gone. So that can't be tested either for touch DNA or blood or anything gone. Rumors are spread that there's some kind of organ harvesting ring going on and that Johnson's did try to sue the funeral home for mishandling their son's body, but the case is dropped um, and the organs are lost, so they can't be tested. The other thing, too, is that um, during his autopsy, all his fingernails were clipped and his family was like, he likes to keep his fingernails long. So we know that this isn't how he wore them. And I, I don't think there's any fingernail clippings to be tested, um, which is a red flag. Despite the missing organs, the pathologist concludes that Kendrick's death is not an accident on the second autopsy. He finds bruising around KJ's neck caused by blunt force trauma. When confronted with the new findings, the federal investigators commission a review of both both autopsies, and they determine that the first autopsy carried out by the GBI is more credible. So they discredit the second autopsy that was brought on by the family. Um, the Johnsons request a coroner inquest in the hopes of reopening the investigation, but the request is denied. Um, but as a result of this new evidence and weeks of protests by the Johnson family, uh, Matthew Moore, who's the U.S. attorney of Georgia, announces a formal review of the case. At the same time, the South Georgia judge grants KJ's family access to the high school's surveillance video, which they hadn't seen before. So there's a lot of controversy around the video footage itself because a lot of people think it's been altered, of course. Um, all the cameras at the school are motion detected. So um, so when someone comes into frame, it starts. So something far away isn't really going to get picked up always. It has to be kind of close. Um, and when you watch it together, it looks like, you know, kids are appearing out of nowhere. It doesn't really make a lot of like linear sense. And also the timestamps on each, because they can show KJ walking through the high school to get to the gym. They show him go in the gym. They show him walking towards the mats. And then that's all they captured. But between all those different video cam or like video systems that caught him, some of them are timestamp wrong. So there's one that's 20 minutes fast. So there's no like great way to show where he actually was. But there's also whole entire hours from the footage in the gym that's missing right at the time that could have shown what happened that day. And of course, this just feeds into more conspiracy theories. Well, um, yeah, I, I know. Mean- yeah, that's not a conspiracy theory. No. That's a fact. That's a theory based theory of right. why the fuck wouldn't all that be there. Right. Totally. Also, what's the what's the point? I get the idea that you can't just be rolling su- surveillance footage constantly, but yeah. you do need a system that if so- 
if something needs to be checked, it makes sense. Like, yeah. why would you have a thing that just starts and then you kind of don't know? Like, nothing about that. No. And the next one is 20 minutes off. And then this one's back at the normal time. And yeah, what's no. the point? Don't have yeah. them if then they just they aren't going to they aren't going to actually tell a linear story. It's crazy. Right. And it's also like, you know, if you had cooperated or at least had some kind of empathy for the parents and walked them through what happened, you know, which you can argue is because of their race, then maybe they would have been accepting of the idea that maybe this was an accident. But instead, you know, it's this complicated situation where there's a lot of blank spots and well complicated and mishandled because then it's not they're not investigating to the full they're coming in and going here's what happened here's why meanwhile not collecting all the evidence like not looking into the story telling the story and then saying you have to be happy with this story being like no it's not kendrick's blood whose blood is it we didn't test it like that's not an answer right it's not an answer So, in 2014, KJ's parents file a wrongful death suit against the school's officials, alleging that KJ had been harassed by a white student and um, his actions had been neglected by the school. And according to the family, so this is the like big theory of what happened, of what everyone thinks happened. This is alleged. I'm not saying any names because no one's an actual suspect. But Kendrick had got the, the theory is that Kendrick had gotten into a fight about 14 months earlier with another football player on his bus. Um, he, they used to be friends, but people said that the two of them got in a fight because maybe Kendrick hooked up with his girlfriend. And they say over the past months before his death, there was all this tension between Kendrick, this white kid and his brother um, and that they were the ones who killed Kendrick in the gym that day. KJ's parents posted the kids' names on Facebook and um, thinking the boys were connected. The two brothers that they're accusing, their father is an FBI agent. Oh. Yeah. So, and I think he's somehow involved in the case as well. So that obviously is going to stoke some conspiracy theories. Um, and so they, they theorize that the FBI guy is controlling everything and covering it up because his sons did it. And then that family, the two sons and the FBI agent ends up being subject to when they, they have an early morning raid, the brothers phones, laptops and cameras are seized. Police don't find any evidence that they had anything to do with Kendrick's death. They also both had pretty strong alibis. But even though they're not officially suspects, the brothers' names get out. They start getting cyberbullied. They're written about in articles as if they're real suspects. And um, their names become associated with the case. And the, one of the brothers, this causes one of the brothers to lose his full ride scholarship to university. You know, it just impacts their lives like this. A judge later orders the Johnsons to pay for the family's legal fees, which totals nearly $300,000 because of everything that was brought in based on this case. So basically because the Johnsons um, published the names, yeah, they were then basically held accountable. Yeah. Hmm. So in January 2015, the Johnsons file a, a 100 million civil lawsuit against 38 people, including three of their son's classmates, the school, the local crime lab, state and federal officials, five agents of the GBI, an FBI agent and more. And the parents say that the son of the FBI agent 
killed KJ and used their connections to cover it up. But they don't really have any evidence for this. And so the Johnson family ends up dropping the suit. Meanwhile, the SCLC and the NAACP had been conducting their own investigation into KJ's death. Uh, Both organizations had initially supported the Johnson's theory that Kendrick's death was suspicious. Um, But the more they investigated, the more they realized there's no actual evidence pointing to foul play. And so speaking in 2015, Reverend Floyd Rose, who's president of the SCLC, said, quote, over 100 people would have to be lying and telling the same story for two years, risking the loss of their jobs, their retirement, jail time. I think the murder theory is not only false, but also ridiculous and based only on wild speculation and outright fabrications. Over the next year, lawyer after lawyer drops the Johnson family as they continue to file more lawsuits against all these people. And in 2016, Michael Moore, the DA, officially closes the case and rules that KJ's death was accidental. And the Department of Justice can't find enough evidence to support federal criminal charges. And, um, you know, they can't prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this is wasn't just a tragic accident. In June of 2018... After a supposed witness testified that KJ was killed with a 45-pound weight or dumbbell and that the surveillance video was edited, so it looks like an anonymous source wrote a letter in saying, "This I heard from someone that this all happened, Kendrick's body is exhumed for a second time and a third autopsy is performed. The family believes that the body shows signs of beating and they hire Dr. William Anderson again. He finds blunt force trauma on KJ's thorax. Um, You know, he finds more evidence that KJ was killed. So seven years, multiple investigations, dozens of lawsuits and three autopsies later, the Johnsons are still convinced that there's more to KJ's death than what is being told to the public. And they're not giving up the search for his killer. And on the anniversary of death, the family released white balloons in his memory and organized a march for him. Um, I looked up on our email account to see if anyone had like gone to high school at the time. And I got an anonymous email that said, I will never forget the moment of hearing a dead body was found at the high school. This is someone who went to a school adjacent. I remember going home and crying because it was the first time I realized that you weren't safe at school. A lot of kids transferred to private schools in the area or went to different school districts the next year when it came time to attend that high school. My school expanded their... So then she ends up going to this high school and she says, my school expanded their band room into the old gym, kind of tore down this gym that he was found in. And the first day we transferred into the new band room, one of his friends said, no matter how much money they spend to make the room look different, I can't forget what happened in here. She says, the case has become almost a political debate in my hometown. Most conservatives believe it was an accident and everyone else with a brain knows it was murder. So I don't think they're ever going to come to a consensus about what happened. Well, the part that you said where that the um, whoever said it, where it was like, this is just wild speculation. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's not no. wild speculation. Like whoever did that kind of summary thing of like, this is ridiculous and there's no proof of, uh, of foul play. I, it seems to me with just the two things you showed me, there's absolutely yeah. proof of foul play and it's not wild speculation. It's a incredibly suspicious death that was processed incorrectly. 
Right. I mean, like that with with some serious problems, like I, there's nothing worse than when someone comes in like in the end and like, you know, sums it all up like and it was ridiculous that they ever Discounts. had doubts in the first yeah. place. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like, absolutely. There's this is suspicious and bizarre. This is one of those cases where I feel like if I were at a bar with someone and they were like, debate this case, I could take either side and debate it well. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I could, even if I believe one thing actually happened and I don't believe it's this other thing, I could debate it on either side because it's just so complicated. It's super complicated. The problem, the reason that you can debate both sides is because the police did not process that scene fully. Mm-hmm. So there's a bunch of question marks where there should absolutely be final answers. Right. They should know whose blood is around that room. They should have taken the time to actually give a shit about that crime scene. Yeah. They should. It is. It's, you know, from what you said, what year was it? 2013? Yeah. There's no excuse why no. that crime scene wouldn't be completely locked down, completely processed, and, and, the, everything and the rules be fall- taken care of. To the yeah, the rules fall to the like follow to the letter. Yes, this is how you process a scene, whether it's a crime or not. It's a a dead body, and you need to process it in a certain way. Yes, because how can you go from how can you if you assume it's an accident? It is right. your job to prove that it's an accident, and you can't do that by standing back and going, "Yeah, we kind of think it is." So quit asking questions. Yeah, that's it's what's almost suspicious. Like, and then when they announced 24, less than 24 hours later, that was an accident. It's like, please put more time into it. You yeah, know? work Even if on that's these what cases. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just, I mean, it's like, troubling. They, whoever, whoever made the wild speculation speech is right. so deeply wrong. And what they should be talking about is when, like, when scenes aren't processed correctly and evidence isn't taken entirely, mm-hmm. you can't tell the whole story. You can't. And at, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's just I, I remember seeing that photo I showed you in 2013 and either way that kid suffered. And yeah, either way, this poor kid suffered and deserves a definitive answer. His family deserves a definitive answer and closure, whether it's, you know, justice because someone murdered him or it actually being a tragic accident and it's just doesn't seem like they're ever going to get it. Well, and I think they're right to be mad because we all know for a fact that if it was a little blonde cheerleader found dead in one of those rolled up gym mats, that they would have locked that whole school. I mean, they would have done everything they could and pulled everybody in. And yeah, I think it is. We everybody has heard this story so many times where it's just like we we understand how things like this get prioritized. Things like these get prioritized and the the hand the hand that kind of like even subverted racism has in it where it's just about priorities and it's you know and it's also a year it this happened a year after Trayvon Martin was murdered it's just there's a lot of yeah rightful indignation yeah you know understandable yeah and so that is better work right so that's the story of the death of Kendrick Johnson Wow, you know what's weird? I've never heard this story. It's not, it's very much a Reddit deep dive late at night thing, you know, which I've been doing lately. Right. And it, and you kind of just check in. Like, I remember seeing it and being like, I'm going to check in on that. It's one of those stories that you just never hear about again because it never comes up again. 
but the photo was so disturbing that I always kind of checked in on on that. Yeah. And I wish I could have done it with an, a definitive answer at the end of it, but it's just not there. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like with the way they processed it, all the answers that those are the answers, the answers that have been given are the ones you're going to get because, yeah, man, they're so, so disturbing about the autopsy and the not processing who has the organs. I mean, like that, that alone, <sighs> these people are in grief and then they're having yeah. to deal with stuff like that. That's, and they're right about it like anyone to take. Not finding out until the second autopsy is done instead of finding out before the bot, you know, before his body is exhumed. It's, it's yeah. unconscionable. To go through that and have it not even be worth it. I mean, right. it's just, yeah. Thank you uh, and apologies to L- Lily for doing the research. I feel like I sent her down a real dark hole. Yeah. Um, should we do fucking hooray? Oh, and just a quick reminder that uh, stay tuned. At the end of this episode, there is a trailer for our brand new weird news podcast starring Kurt Bronner and Scotty Landis called Bananas. You're going to love it. Get a sample. Um, it's coming to you soon, and we're so excited. Okay. Should I go first? Sure. This is from Watermelon, <laughs> but it's spelled... I don't know why I'm so tickled by that. (laughs) Underscore water, M-E-L-L-Y-N, underscore. And Watermelon says, great episode. Want to tell y'all my fucking hooray today. I live in Nashville and we had a big tornado at the beginning of March. Do you remember how long ago that was? There was that awful tornado that ripped right through Nashville. Yeah. It was really scary. And that seems like it was four years ago and it was the beginning of this month. Unbelievable. Okay. I mean, last month. My neighborhood was already reeling from that and when we we all started to realize how serious this pandemic was, I was couch surfing due to damage to my apartment. Here's the hooray part. I decided to move back into my apartment even though it still doesn't have most amenities. (laughs) I know that sounds silly, but just being in my home has made all the difference. It's not perfect, but it's mine. And I have had a smile on my face ever since I got back. Thanks for all that you do. I've thought about couch surfers during this time. Yeah. How hard that must be. Yeah. To be kind of weirdly in between or no, it's horrible. Well, I'm glad you got your home back. What a fucking double whammy of bullshit. Oh, this one spoke to me personally, so I wanted to read it. This is by Kay Depstein from Instagram. So glad these podcasts are still rolling out. My personal fucking hooray right now is the realization that struggling with anxiety for my entire life has prepared me for this exact moment. I have been feeling oddly calm about everything going on and thinking, I'm usually an anxious mess. What gives? And then it hit me that I've been working for years to manage my fear around uncertainty, lack of control, and unexpected change, while many people are facing those fears for the first time in a significant way. I'm so grateful for the skills I have learned through therapy and the chemicals I have gained through medication, which are helping me ride this current shit show with relative ease. (laughs) I was like, why does this feel normal? Oh, yeah. I'm always scared to go in a grocery store. Not just now. Yeah. Kind of makes you feel a little less alone. Now everyone's on board. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't like this. I don't want to get sick, but 
fuck. So the subject line of this one is teddy bear hunt. This is from the fan cult forum. It says, my fucking hooray is to all the neighbors in my Hyde Park neighborhood of Chicago who have placed teddy bears and other stuffed animals in their windows so kids can look for them when the parents <gasps> get them out of the house for a walk. My sister told me about this. They're oh doing it in God. Petaluma too. It's called a bear hunt where just little kids have something to do as they Stop. walk around their neighborhood. Um, it says... The list is up to 294 homes who have done it, including mine. Fucking hooray to all the parents at home with their kids. So have some fun on your walk. <laughs> that is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I and have that, chills. Sorry, that's from V Feel One. Uh, I didn't know that. That's amazing. You know, your sister texted me the other night, by the way. Oh, what'd she say? <laughs> oh, what did she say? Something about the tiger king i think that's hilarious because you know she does not <laughs> listen to this podcast so she didn't do it just to be cute that's I, didn't, I, uh, I didn't tell her what we talked about i love it I, i'm so i love getting <laughs> it's the best okay this one is from rainbow dot meow shine <laughs> wow okay did, did mimi send this email to you <laughs> <laughs> definitely my hashtag fucking hooray oh that's another thing on instagram if you just ha find the hashtag fucking hooray and follow it you'll see people's comments which is really uplifting uh, my fucking hooray is that my nurse mom overcame covid19 this week oh no, shit i know no more fever breathing normally upright we haven't seen her or my dad for almost a month because that's how long she's been sick she was quarantined before covid19 officially canceled the world so happy my mom is getting healthy. Can't wait until I can actually hug her. Ugh. That's a, I feel like one of the worst things about getting sick with this is not being able to go to your family's bedside and hold anyone's hand. And that must be like the hardest part. It's horrible. Our family friend, um, uh, Jen, my friend Jen had a baby and her, no one in her family could come in. I think she, I think her, um, husband the father of her yeah. child got to be there but but the rest of the family had to wait in the parking lot oh my isn't that God. horrifying it, no it's terrible and that's i mean yeah across the board it's yeah it's terrible yeah. but here's a fucking hooray that might okay. turn it around for you um <laughs> this is from lil lilissa it looks like lily ssa okay um after four years of living apart and one year of long distance marriage my husband and i finally purchased a home we can live in together mm. he's currently deployed and due to covid19 his scheduled time to come back home has been pushed back and he is, to, he has to be quarantined for two weeks once he gets here. However, I am so excited to finally start this new chapter in our lives, no matter how many hiccups we've experienced along the way. I get to live with my husband in my dream house in just a few months. Woo hoo. All caps. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank yes. you for your, your service. Did they I say know. they were in the military? I don't remember. Yes, they did. Okay, he, good. Her husband's in in the military, but can't come home uh, on time because of uh, coronavirus. What we're living in in walking, talking history right now. I it's mean, so beyond, it's so crazy beyond. Okay, here this one made made me almost cry. This is from Franny underscore Merkel. Hi, my fucking hooray is this. My mom's a nurse near Westchester, New York, and she's been working a lot. Tonight, we decided to play cards, her with her mask on and me six feet away on the other side of the table. <laughs> <laughs> and we both reached to get a card. 
And she took my hand and was like, I love you. And I proceeded to cry because I haven't been able to touch her in weeks. And she's literally risking her life for others. Yeah. I can't believe I have a super mom. Shout out to all the medical professionals out there who are running headfirst into the storm. Thanks for reminding us that being afraid is okay, but it's not okay. Oh, fuck. Thanks for reminding us that it, being afraid is okay, but it's not okay to be crazy. Uh, sorry. <laughs> but it's not okay to be crazy. <laughs> no, it's it's better than that. It says, thanks for reminding us that being afraid is okay, but it's not okay to be a crazy asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Love you, ladies. Stay sexy and clean. Fran. Fran and Fran's mom. Thank you, Fran's mom, for kicking ass. Bless wow. your heart. Unbelievable. I hope she won at Gin Rummy. Yeah, really. I hope she won all the uh, all the bottle caps and all the um, <laughs> pieces of candy. Uh, it really is true. The medical professionals are running into a storm every day. Oh, they truly. really are every single day. It's beyond. It's I so saw a video crazy. of the medical professionals giving a round of applause to the janitorial sort yes. of uh, people who are serving those hospitals and medical facilities. Yep. I mean, and risking their lives to clean yeah. those facilities. It's heroic. You think any fucking billionaire CEO would do that shit? No fucking no way. way. No, they're all out on their boats in Micronesia and shit. Yeah. Um, also, when I watched that video, the first thing I thought of was there's this video is 90% women. It's female oh. doctors. Fe it's nurses, female doctors. There was one dude in the back that I could yep. see and the cleaning staff were women. Amen. Just just a note. Uh, this is a little, this is a little turn, but it's just on the same theme. It's, um, from Ali Steichlin. Uh, it says, Hey, murderinos, about 12 years ago, I inherited all of my grandpa's home photography equipment when he passed away. There are about 25 carousels. A 35 millimeter slides full of memories. Everything from trips he and my grandma took around the world to home photos are preserved in these slides. My mom was estranged from her family from before I was born until I was in first grade. When I finally got to meet my grandparents, I had a whole lot of love to give and they did too. Grandpa mm. showed, grandpa loved showing me these pictures and telling me all sorts of stories to accompany the pictures. During the quarantine, I've been working on digitizing these slides and uploading them to a shared space where everyone in the family can see them. I just hit the 1000 picture mark and Holy I'm not shit. even halfway through. Yes. <laughs> I feel so fortunate to have this opportunity to help grandpa get his pictures to the whole family. I wish he was still here for the storytelling, but his pictures do a pretty damn good job telling their own story. So fucking hooray for grandpa and these beautiful pictures pictures stay safe and healthy murderinos the world needs you ali s that's so beautiful i love the thought that she has time to do these emotional you know chores that you would we're never going to get to in our day-to-day -day life you know right yeah and i'm sure as she does them she's discovering how yeah. amazing you know like we look at stuff like that it's like oh it's so emotional it's too hard but i bet once you actually dig into the reality of it it's like this full other experience it's joyous it amazing yeah, yeah. To like to have somebody that was a big photographer in your family so there's all kinds of stuff that's captured remember when i had my christmas tree and it was a white Christmas tree with the red, red balls. And I told you it was from my Aunt Kay, yes. Anton Giovanni, who always made her Christmas trees like that. I found this little um, 
photo album in a box in my garage when I was going through um, stuff. (laughs) And it was my it was my grandma's old photo album. And it was basically a purse size photo album that um, held those perfect Kodachrome 60s pictures that were squares. Yeah. So it's like basically a square, a tiny square photo album. Yeah. And in that photo album, there's a picture of my Aunt Kay holding my sister in front of her Christmas tree and it's the exact same fucking Christmas tree. Oh my God. And I would have never, like, I was like, Oh, that just reminded me of that. But then there was the, actually the picture of like, oh, this is the reason I remember that tree. It's from That's, this picture. Yeah. And like, that you've we, seen we your whole that life laying around. Yeah. I like love there's that. pictures all around you right now that you could go through and, and have a whole journey. Uh, you know, if you, if yeah. you dare go through the shoebox of pictures, <laughs> do it. Of life, the shoebox of life. Do it. I love it. Why Send not? us your fucking arrays on Instagram, on Twitter, and the email, on the fan cult, wherever you want. Uh, we'll keep reading yeah. them because they're really making us happy. And we hope they're making you happy, too. Thanks yeah. for listening, you guys. They're great. It's my fucking hoorays that we still get to do this show, even though it's super weird and it's um, far away, which I don't like. Mm-mm. And the timing is off, which is irritating because our timing is the most fun part about us doing this podcast <laughs> together. But mm-hmm. I still love that we uh, get to do it. And and I love that Steven set it up so that we can do it remotely. I know. Because it's really nice that we get to. Yeah, we're we're very lucky people. I. I count my blessings every day. Count those blessings, girl. One, two, three. Um, <laughs> <laughs> am I supposed to- <laughs> Yay. Well, then stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye. Goodbye. Elvis, do you want a cookie?